Go for Leadership, the podcast with Daniel and Gerd. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Go for Leadership podcast. With me today is Hamza Khan. Welcome to the show. Daniel, thank you for having me and hello to all the viewers and listeners. Go for Leadership interviews. Hamza, as usually, we ask uh, to give a 30 seconds uh, glimpse introduction of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I am a speaker. I'm an author. I'm an educator. I'm passionate about helping people and organizations thrive in the future of work. And how I'm doing that currently is as the managing director of Canada's largest student resource platform, Student Life Network, and Wyconic, respectively, which is all about helping students make the successful transition from high school through post-secondary to their dream jobs. And I'm also doing that. I'm also realizing my purpose through uh, co-founding and being a partner at a soft skills training company, Skills Camp. And so... Suffice to say, these days are quite busy, quite full, but also very fulfilling. Awesome. Uh, and in this particular sense, uh, I think it's very important to also give some orientation and guidance. How would you describe leadership or what is your definition of, of leadership? You know, I'm glad you asked that question because I've recently taken a deep dive into the subject of leadership, both as an art as well as a science. And uh, on the day that we're recording this, I've actually published my second book, Leadership Reinvented, which I hope that people can check out if they're interested in learning about leadership in this post-virus age. So the definition, the best one that I can come up with for leadership is a system of action, a system of action that guides individuals because there is such a thing as personal leadership, but especially organizations, groups of people towards shared objectives. And increasingly in the last 20 years, that system of action has become more voluntary. I think once upon a time, certainly um, for most of history, leadership could be something imposed. It could be something demanded and extracted. People could be conscripted and forced to meet the aims of the leaders. But that style of leadership, that avoidant, aggressive, autocratic style is breathing its last breath. And I think that the COVID-19 pandemic has exposed ineffective styles of leadership all over the world. And any leader who is insisting on what uh, Douglas McGregor has coined, the theory X style of management, won't be effective moving forward. And so this is a call to any leader right now, if you're not taking a human-centric, values-driven, self-disrupting, and change-friendly approach to leading an organization, leading yourself, um, the chasm of time is where you might find yourself. Hopefully not. So the, the, the clock is ticking. And I like, I like that kind of definition, Hamza. So um, when you describe, let's say, how a leader is, is not, uh, and I think leadership has also a lot of to do with, with self-reflection. How would you, um, let's say, or what advice would you give those, let's say, classical leaders to evolve? Because I think they are still out there. Uh, there some out there that, that have recognized that with their way of, of thinking, their way of attitude, they, they won't last and won't succeed. So for those, at least that there's a little hope, what would be your recommendation? Yeah, there's, a, there's something that I learned about quite recently. Well, at least in the process of writing the book, researching the book, it's uh, something known as optimism bias. It's this idea that everyone thinks that bad things happen to other people. Everybody thinks that their organization is going to be fine, that their health is going to be great, that they're going to achieve success, and that failure and devastation and losses happen to everyone else. But COVID-19 has shown us that 
bad things can happen to everyone, to every organization, regardless of your station in life, your ability and your insulation from stress and adversity. So my recommendation would be to get real about your organization's life cycle. Every organization, regardless if you are a Fortune 500 company or a young startup, you are going to go through the exact four stages of a business cycle. Every business is introduced, it gets a surge of attention, and then it grows. You engage in the activities that bring about early success. And then once you find your business model, you mature. Now, as you mature, you plateau. And you have to decide then as an organization at the fourth stage, are you going to renew yourself and restart that curve all over again, or will you decline? If leaders are listening to this right now, and they're concerned that they're not going to be able to renew their organization, I would encourage you to listen to that feeling. I would be worried about you if you didn't think that your organization could fail. If you don't think your organization could fail, let me just name a couple of people who also thought their organizations would not fail. Theranos. Elizabeth Holmes, Adam Newman, WeWork, Travis Kalanick, Uber, Steve Ballmer, Microsoft. I mean, I could go on. These were all leaders who got caught up in the belief that the way that they were doing things was in line with the external environment. And in the words of Jack Welch, ex-CEO of General Electric, if the rate of change on the outside of the organization exceeds the rate of change on the inside, the end is near. So what you want to do if you're a leader right now is prepare yourself today, start doing things on a daily basis that ensures that the inside of the organization is changing faster than the outside. And you won't have to worry about making the difficult decision to renew your organization when that inflection point does appear. And if you're not changing the inside of your organization, then not only will you miss that opportunity, but you will actually make the wrong decision once you're forced to change. In other words, change before you have to. And I like that. I always um, have brought the analogy that um, when you are in the middle of the room, you have choices, big corner yes. to pick. If you are in the corner, you can't pick any any option. You are already in the corner and cannot pick any <laughs> any uh, other opportunity. I love that. Then. And, I love that. Um, That's great. And I think that it is very important to have sensors, like you said, uh, for for. Uh, change to come. And I think the best sensor that the leader can have uh, is his employees that are on the front line, uh, listening to, to clients, uh, uh, listening to, to service calls, um, dealing with, with different uh, kinds of uh, forces. So how you um, can assure that those leaders really listen to their staff uh, and that also the same people really can raise their hands and say, look, dear leader, there's a problem on the horizon to come. Because I think one of the learnings also with COVID is that speed is, is I won't say everything, but speed really matters. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's two examples I want to give you of leaders who've operationalized and maximized the value of empathy. So we think about the ex-CEO of PepsiCo, Indra Nooyi, uh, absolute legend in, in her field, a pioneer in many ways and revitalized and energized the PepsiCo brand. In the first few years of her tenure, what she would do is she would actually go into stores unsuspecting, unannounced, and would take photographs of the packaging, the shelving. I mean, remarkable stuff. Talk about somebody that understood that you can't just be a leader. You also have to be a practitioner. You have to be a consumer. You can never get far away from the end result of what you do. Then you have someone like Tim Cook, who regularly sits down to have lunch with his employees 
at random. You could just be sitting down, Daniel, you and I could be in the lunchroom of Apple, one of its many lunchrooms. And next thing you know, we have the CEO of Tim Cook sitting right beside us asking us how we're doing, what we think of the company, what we think of the product, what could be improved. I mean, talking about keeping an ear to the proverbial streets, if you will. Um, what's another example that I could give you? Satya Nadella, the current CEO of Microsoft, during the first annual retreat that he had for the company, you know, everybody showed up to the hotel, to the resort, thought that it was going to be one big party. To their surprise, he brought a bunch of tour buses. He said, everybody get on. We're going to drive to the nearest malls. We're going to drive to Microsoft stores and talk to customers. And so these three practices highlight what I think leaders should be doing. Now, you could borrow those three examples. You can come up with your own. There's many that I share in Leadership Reinvented, but the purpose is the same. It's about understanding what's happening in the external environment. So what are your stakeholders, your shareholders, your customers? What is the general audience feeling about your organization, feeling about your product, your services, your events? That's step number one. Understand the external environment and then do the same thing on the inside of the environment. If there are people in your organization that you don't know what they think, if you haven't uh, enable them to share their opinions, if you haven't given them the opportunity to provide candid feedback, if you're not meeting with them, if you're only meeting with your direct reports, you're creating a reality force field around yourself. And look no further than one of the greatest falls from graces in modern times, Elizabeth Holmes of Theranos. You can watch the documentary, The Founder. You can listen to the ABC podcast. You can read the book, Bad Blood. There's so many well-documented examples of this leader who appeared on the surface to be effective, but had in effect created a reality force field around her from which she was insulated from the realities of both the inside of Theranos as well as the outside. And she deluded herself into believing that the company was successful. And the rest is history. Exactly. And I think that that, that that's also, um, I think, one of the... Uh, key keys these days that there is really a, a constant information flow and like you said with the good examples that it's very important to be and put yourself really in the front line to understand what is the problems that customer facing and, and how you mm -hmm. can solve and evolve as a customer as a as a mm. customer serving company uh, over time yes now um uh, with covid um uh, you mentioned that many has uh, reacted uh, very decently to this, let's say, uncertain time. Maybe you also want to give some some glimpse on on uh, on, on those uh, examples. Sure, I found a very uh, interesting case study which I've I've profiled in Leadership Reinvented again. Um, so two companies, you have Lyft and Co, which is a cannabis review company run by a CEO by the name of Matei Olaru. Now, this is tough because uh, you know I've favorably written about Matei in the past. Seems overall, from my experience, to be a well-meaning individual, but for whatever reason, totally bungled letting go of people during the pandemic. During the pandemic, at a time when his employees were stressed, overwhelmed, insecure, and anxious. I mean, we're talking about people who can barely afford their rent, put food on the table, cover their student loans. Imagine if you got a text message announcing that you're going to be let go from the company. Imagine if you got an email and you were given just a matter of minutes to clear your desk and vacate the premise. How demoralizing, discouraging, and overwhelming that could be. There was a lot of noise around that firing. Uh, I think Vice published an article called, this is how we get fired during the pandemic, alone and through text message or something like that. But basically, the idea was highlighting how inhuman, impersonal, that style of leadership is. And if you can go on glassdoor.com and look at the reviews of Lyft & Co., you will see that 
you know, people aren't very fond of this leader. He has very low approval ratings, and uh, there's actually a campaign within the organization to oust him as the leader. I mean, this is not how this is not how you want it to go down. Now you contrast that with Brian Chesky, the CEO of Airbnb. Look at how Brian let go of his staff during the pandemic. Like many organizations, he had to let go of a lot of people. How he did it? The message came from him. It was in a meeting. It was personal. It was empathetic. And it was reminding people that this has nothing to do with you. You're a wonderful employee. This has everything to do with the realities of the hospitality industry. And then on top of that, created a page where they would list all of the employees, showcase their skills, and work to make sure that they were placed in other organizations, gifted everyone their company laptop, gave them generous severance, left their lines of communication open, and said, you can talk to me personally. Like You look earth and earth and, I mean, earth and moon, day and night, light and dark, just polar opposites in terms of approach. And now you go on Airbnb and you look at Brian Chesky's favorability. I mean... Uh, it's, it's, I'm actually, I scratch my head thinking about why, why someone like Matteo Laru would, would do that. And I think the easy answer is that you're a bad leader, right? But we also have to be patient and empathetic and, and understanding that during COVID-19, everyone is stressed, leaders included. I'm sure that Matteo has not exactly been having a great time. I'm sure that that letting go of people must have been a very difficult decision. But unfortunately, Brian Chesky prepared for that moment in a way that Matei didn't. And I think that's at the heart of my leadership philosophy as a system of action. It has to be practiced every single day so that when you're forced to make a decision under duress, especially, and leaders are forced to make decisions under duress all the time, that they can trust that their subconscious routine will allow them to make the right decision in those moments. And I like those two examples because at the end, it's the same result, but there's different ways of doing it uh, with respect, with integrity, with, uh, let's say, uh, with all uh, strengths to overcome this difficult situation and just not to do it. And I think as a leader in particular, you, you always need to put yourself uh, as the last one, the last one who eats and also the last one who, who let's say, makes, makes the, uh, the, the light off. But I think yes. in the same sense, uh, it is very important to, um, to give all what you can do in this particular difficult times to your staff. Mm. So I, I like that example. Mm. Thank you. You mentioned one word, which is uh, trust. And I think trust is also... Uh, for me, always the kid between humans. Uh, and uh, uh, as an employee, you trust the company working, that you are working for as well, the leader. Mia can also give us uh, some, some insight of your philosophy between employees and, and leaders in particular. Yeah, um, I'll keep this one, one succinct. And, and maybe this doesn't work for everyone, but I think the world would be a tremendously better place if we approached every relationship from a place of 100% trust as opposed to the deficit approach, which is, you know, I'm meeting you, Daniel, for the first time. If I approach this conversation distrusting you, if I operate from the perspective that you are Machiavellian, you're scheming, you're a narcissist, if I assume the worst, that's a painful, that's a very, it's not a fun way. It's not a fulfilling way to live. And we're going to have to work extra hard. We're going to have to overcome so many obstacles to get to a place where we can flourish and thrive and bring out the best in each other. But I know that that's not what happened here. I came into this conversation expecting 100% that you are positive, 
you're incredible. You want me to succeed. You want the listeners and the viewers to benefit. And I've come into this and hopefully your interpretation of my energy and my attitude has been just the same. And I get the sense already that this is a good conversation and that the listeners and the viewers are appreciating it. So we were able to jump right in and, and make something of value. So my advice when it comes to trust for leaders to assume the best of their employees and for employees to assume the best of their leaders, especially right now in the middle of the pandemic when everyone is stressed. Um, this is, this is the, the corollary to Douglas McGregor's theory X style of management. The theory Y style of management assumes that employees are self-motivated, that they're driven, that they're hardworking, and that they want to succeed individually, but also to help the organization succeed. I have tried both styles of management. I have been managed by both styles of leaders. And let me tell you, the more fun, the more fulfilling, and ultimately the more successful of those two styles is theory Y. I, I, I believe that too. Now let's uh, um, switch gears a little bit. And um, sure. you work with a lot of uh, young talents. Uh, what is their aspiration maybe one day to become a leader? Are there any aspiration or do they have other focus? Maybe you can tell us a little bit about the, the next generation of leaders to come. Yeah, this is interesting. I mean, I, I every year look forward to Gallup's State of the Workplace report, and there's been a consistent trend, I'd say, over the last decade, at least the last five to six years, where the, the traditional markers of career success are continuing to fall. And those markers would be position, would be title, would be salary. Those are the things that motivated your mom and dad. Those are the things that motivated my mom and dad. The older generations were motivated by the corner office, the executive VP title, and the you know $200,000 salary. But you talk to any member of Generation Z, you talk to certainly people in our age bracket as well, Gen Y, I'm assuming, um, we want purpose. We want feedback. We want professional development. We want opportunities for growth. We want to feel like we're meaningfully contributing, not just to the organization that we work in, but through that organization, we want to also be improving our communities. We want to be improving our countries and the world overall. So that is certainly where I see this generation going. Now, does that include leadership? I think it's hard to avoid because so much of the last decade, at least, has been characterized by a lionization of, um, especially in the tech world, tech leaders, right? You see these stories all the time about the, the prodigy that drops out of university to start a company and you know, the leaders that make the headlines, the ones that are, are, are garnering massive amounts of public attention are the leaders like uh, Evan Spiegel of Snapchat, uh, Kylie Jenner of Kylie Cosmetics. And, you know, they're, they're getting younger and younger and more successful and more independent. It just seems to be something that is in vogue right now. It's very cool. But heavy lies the head that wears the crown. And I can tell you this is somebody that uh, has worn the crown at different organizations, is currently wearing crowns in different respects. It looks great. It looks desirable. It looks like something you want, but the realities of having it on your head are very different. Um, if I told people right now that I, at times, have been the lowest paid employee of my own company, that I've cried myself to sleep, that I have um, burned through evenings and weekends obsessing about the future of the organization, if I have had some of the most difficult conversations in my life, um, painful, been insulted and berated in the service of my organizations and people, if I told them what it's really like to be a leader, it might turn a lot of people off. So it's not for everyone, 
but I hope that everyone gets to experience it. And so this is my cry to leaders. I would tell you that what happens in organizations sometimes is you hire leaders who look like leaders. You have this preconceived notion of what a leader looks like. A leader is confident. A leader is well-dressed, well-spoken. A leader is good in a room, able to close deals and this and that. That actually leaves people like you and me out of the conversation. I'm very introverted. I'm very quiet. I'm a slow thinker. What has allowed me to thrive as a leader is I've had leaders before me offer leadership trials. Hey, Hamza, we want to see if you can handle this project. Can you handle this event? Can you handle these people? Give me the opportunity proactively. So this, on one hand, stops tall poppy syndrome from happening, but also enables people who might not see themselves as leader to step into leadership roles and demonstrate their capabilities. Um, so I think that both things can be true at the same time. One, not everybody wants to become a leader, but two, we should give everybody the opportunity to explore their leadership capabilities. I think that's uh, perfect um, because at the end, I think there's no born leader. And as long as you're not try it, you will never figure out if that's something that you like to do well said. or if you are capable to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, usually uh, in the different roles that I have been a leader and I feel so uh, so the same, you get all the, the, the shit upwards, right? The shit always <laughs> jumps up, not downwards. Yeah, man. <laughs> so, um, and, and at the end, um, it's not that you uh, can say, well, it's five o'clock uh, in the afternoon, let's go now for, for home or to go to the grocery store or whatever. Uh, you are sitting the last one who is trying to get the, the stuff, stuff fixed. So I think you really need to like that. Uh, and otherwise mm -hmm. you won't be happy. And if you are not be happy, you don't like the stuff that, that, that you do. And if you don't like the stuff that you do, will not be successful in what you do. That's and my, Daniel um, no, I, I, I agree with that 100%. And, and, and sorry to cut you off. I just wanted to make sure that I got in this point over here. Um, two things very related to what you said. Leadership, and especially entrepreneurial leadership, is living a few years of your life like nobody else will so you can live the rest of your life like few people can. And exactly. the trade-off for the highest of highs is the lowest of lows. Absolutely. Are you willing to put up with the sleepless nights? Are you willing to put in your personal money? Are you willing to put your life goals on hold? Are you willing to incur uh, an inhuman amount of stress? That is the price of leadership, especially of the entrepreneurial nature. So I agree with everything you've said. And you know, I hope that we're not scaring listeners and viewers from becoming leaders. I'm telling you that it is very fulfilling. And I'm sure you will agree with me, Daniel. It's extremely fulfilling. And um the, 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 the adversity that you experience, the pain and the hardships that you pass through are all part of that journey. You emerge from that a better human being, a better leader, a better contributor even. I think so too. And it, it forms uh, you a different kind of, of, of level. So uh, I think that's very important to, to, to hold as a, as a moment. So uh, let's maybe uh, come to our last question. And uh, Hamza... Sure. Uh, as you uh, elaborated very well, I think on the on the younger generation to come, maybe you also have some, let's say, ideas or contribution. Or what would you have said to yourself before you started your professional career and maybe your also entrepreneurial career? Wow. Uh, I 
I used to obsess about perfection when I was younger. I always waited too long to hit publish. I waited too long to start. I waited too long to launch. You know, in the words of Reid Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn, if you're not horribly embarrassed by the first version of what you do, you've waited too long. So I would encourage people, especially right now, if you're listening to this while the pandemic is still going on, um, prioritize progress over perfection. Perfection is overrated. Perfection is counterproductive. I think it'll elicit the types of behaviors from you that will lead you to burnout in the future. And you know, I would I would say to myself, look, man, you can't always make the right decision, but you can make a decision and then make it right. Go for leadership, the podcast with Daniel and Gert. That, that's a great final statement. Hamza, thank you so much for being our guest today. Oh, man. Thank you so much, Daniel. Appreciate this. And I hope that when I get uh, the second season of my podcast up and running, that uh, you'll join me. I will do so, Hamza. Would Amazing. be a pleasure. Daniel, cool. take care. To all the listeners, thank you. Go for Leadership, the podcast.